Aking, and I am the host of This Is The Revolution, your new favorite show. You're probably tired of me saying that. I'm just trying to be confident so that you, you know, respect me and love me and hopefully you'll love this show. So for anyone that's a new listener, which is literally everybody that's listening to this right now, this show is talking about popular culture and how it relates to revolutionary theory. So I believe that despite the United States having a, a huge aversion to revolution when it comes to real life, that it's been deeply embedded within our popular culture, particularly those raised in the 90s, uh, the 80s, the 2000s. Um, so this show is going to hope to get to the core of that. So if you're interested in organizing and revolutionary theory, um, socialism, anarchism, even progressivism, liberalism and libertarianism, there's going to be a little something here for you. So our first episode is going to be about one of my favorite shows of all time, Recess. Uh, it's going to be about recess. It's going to be about recess. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you excited? I'm excited. Uh, so Recess is a show that was created by Paul Germain and Joe Ansaholabari. Mispronounce his last name. That's OK, because I'm African. I get to do that, but not in a weird way. I'm just saying that people mispronounce African names all the time. and It sucks. So I get to do that on this show. I'm going to do it all the time, actually. And I love it. They both worked on shows like Hey Arnold, Rugrats, The Simpsons, things that, you know, should call deep into your heart. Lasted about six seasons, not about exactly six seasons. Ran from 1997 to 2001. Originally aired on ABC as a Saturday morning cartoon. And so for people unfamiliar with Recess, it takes place primarily on the playground of Third Street Elementary School. The playground is not exactly like a normal playground. Well, depending on where you grew up, it serves as a representation of our society overall, though it's kind of somewhere between a feudalistic society, capitalistic society, um, a constitutional monarchy or something like 19th century England. The show follows a group of kids on that playground as they navigate the normal stuff kids do when they're growing up, mixed with the political and cultural implications of living under a weird feudal capitalist hierarchy. The main characters are led by TJ Detweiler, you know, normal leader kind of kid, uh, white dude, backwards baseball hat, which would normally be annoying, but he kind of pulls it off. I've heard some theories about him being a little bit narcissistic, but I think he is, you know, the, the normal, brave, rambunctious uh, main character hero type of kid. And the rest of the crew is an interesting mix of characters, you know, the outcast, the athlete, the nerd. The other nerd, the drama kid, all mixed into one little problem solving little click. So this episode centers around one of the most prominent characters of the show, one of the most important. And it's a jungle gym named Old Rusty. Basically, Principal Pickley, the principal of the playground, well, the school. He wants to shut down old Rusty, which all sounds kind of sexual. Uh, Principal Prickly shutting down old Rusty, but we're not going to get into that. That's not the purpose of this show. So Principal Prickly, much like most authoritarians, most leaders, is kind of doing whatever he wants to do. And is like, this, this playground is my domain. This jungle gym shall not stand. He wants something new. He wants to gentrify the playground and put up some, some skyscraping kind of jungle gym. So most of the kids kind of just hang their hands at the feet. 
They're sad. They're like, wow, we lost the playground, lost the jungle gym. But TJ, uh, being the brave, charismatic leader that he is, responds by remaining on the jungle gym in defiance. So the playground disciplinarian, uh, Miss Finster, comes over and she basically threatens to discipline TJ. Uh, I think threatens to beat him at a certain point, which seems a little inappropriate. But despite the threat of violence, he remains on the jungle gym. And that eventually leads towards other students joining him and being inspired by what happened. And the occupation holds strong against the face of threats, including Plan P, the threat of parental intervention. They bring the parents down there. Um, But the bravery of the students and uh, the love that they have for the jungle gym convinces the parents, you know, they they remember their own stories when they were growing up with uh, old Rusty. And it's a little funny. It's it's a little funny. And they all decide they're going to join the occupation. They're moved by their children and decide to join the children. They sing uh, Kumbaya, some other protest songs. The history of Kumbaya is actually really dope. If you have the chance to look at it, it comes from the Gullah Geechee people or the Gullah and the Geechee people. And yeah, it's worth checking out. I wish I could spend more time on that, but I know you're here for very specific things. So they're singing protest songs in the jungle gym. And eventually, you know, they, they win. There's a sense of victory. And then the jungle gym collapses, which don't think about that. That's not part of the show. It's not a metaphor for anything. The community does succeed in the end because there are some unionized workers around who decide, hey, we can actually rebuild this jungle gym newer and, um, you know, better. But at the same time, retaining the original jungle gym and its essence. So yeah, go unionize labor, except for cops. So the theory I want to talk about today is called escalation. I'm going to be talking about escalation in the same way that Mark and Paul Engler do in their book, This is an Uprising. I'm also borrowing a lot from Momentum. I am a trainer with the Momentum training community, which trains progressives, radicals, socialists, all sorts of folks in the process of engaging in civil disobedience and the actual strategy of it, not just like the the day-to-day tactics, but the overall and how it works to polarize society. We're going to get a little bit deeper into that as we get deeper into this show, but today we're focusing on escalation. And that idea is that social movements win victories by engaging in increasing acts of protest. They, They escalate, essentially. You know, that's the word. That's what we're working with here. They define escalation, they being Mark and Paul Engler and momentum, as engaging in actions that increase sacrifice and disruption. We want to disrupt the system so it doesn't function and can't do harm. And also as a means of gaining public attention, you know, we want to shut things down so the system doesn't do what it's going to do. And people are like, oh, what's going on here? The system's shut down. Is everything okay? You also want to engage in sacrifice so others understand the severity of the situation and are moved to join us. We want to make sure that they understand that. You know, we're not just shutting things down for for the hell of it. We're shutting things down because it's important. And we're actually willing to put our lives on the line to show you how important it is. And you should, too. So we see escalation play itself out in the show. It starts when TJ and the other kids start verbally protesting. Right. They're speaking out their actions, something like a rally. It's like a speak out. It happens very quickly, obviously, in response to what's going on, but and they're immediately met with threats. But TJ escalates by meeting that threat 
within a disruptive action by occupying the jungle gym. And then when he's physically threatened, it escalates again by him remaining. It's one thing to occupy something. It's another thing to occupy something and have uh, someone threaten you with violence. And if you choose to remain there, it's an act of bravery that a lot of people are going to see. And that's what happens. TJ inspires the other children to join him in the occupation of the jungle gym. And through this, they're all engaging in sacrifice, right? Uh, TJ already engaged in sacrifice by remaining on the jungle gym despite the violent threat. Uh, now these other students are now joining in and they're increasing their level of collective sacrifice and the level of disruption. Now it's going to be significantly more difficult for these children to be removed in the way that removing one kid, you know, not, not that difficult. And it seems like Miss Finster has no issue utilizing, uh, you know, violence against children. So I think TJ got lucky here, but he, he didn't get lucky, right? He was engaging in, in strategy, whether or not he knew it. His sacrifice inspired a lot of people. And this escalation continued, right? The, the opposition escalated, much like what happens in real life. They bring out the riot police. In this case, they bring out the parents, which, you know, unlike riot police, don't have an inherent interest in shutting down the protests and keeping progress from happening. The parents actually see the, the sacrifice the students have made and immediately triggers old stories of their own childhoods and their time with old Rusty. And we're going to get into how important story is, but definitely notice that here. So they win. They win by escalating. They win by sacrificing. They won by disrupting uh, business as usual. And this happens all the time in real life. Uh, it's similar. Well, we haven't won the fight for climate justice yet, but thinking about Greta Thunberg and Fridays are for Futures and the student climate strike movement, right? Greta engaged in a sacrificial act of going on strike, missing out on a quality education. Admittedly, her initial acts were not significantly disruptive, but once her sacrifice got the attention of other students, she and the broader movement were able to engage in increasingly disruptive acts, which, you know, had things like activists shutting down schools, businesses, and eventually at a certain point, every bridge leading into the city of London. So I want to give a couple examples of what it looks like to escalate. So where most protest movements or people interested in politics begin is with petitions. And petitions, when you think about it, don't really involve much sacrifice or disruption. There is a little bit of sacrifice there where people are putting their names out there publicly, risking, you know, being fired, being distanced from their family. But at this day and age, most people don't face ramifications for signing a petition in the United States. They don't really involve that much anything from people. So I would argue that positions are no longer an effective way to protest. Maybe they never were. It makes sense if you're living in a government that is responsive to its people, but I don't think we live in one currently and arguably never really had. But petitions are really useful for gathering information about people, getting names, phone numbers, email addresses, so you can actually follow up with them so you can escalate in different ways. So let's look at an example of a form of escalation that increases high sacrifice, but low disruption. So a classic uh, version of that would be someone participating in a hunger strike most likely isn't impacting many other people but is definitely engaging in a 
highly sacrificial act, potentially risking their own lives, depending on how far they're going with the hunger strike. Another example of something that's really high sacrifice, potentially not really high disruption is self-immolation. So this is when people burn themselves alive, uh, which has happened a lot throughout recent history. Even in the last couple of decades in the United States, we've had people burn themselves alive, which is an extreme form of high sacrifice, obviously, but isn't really that disruptive unless it's done in a very public place or in a strategic location. But people have actually been burning themselves alive in front of the White House. I can think of at least two people in my lifetime that have done so, but most people actually haven't heard of those people. And that's a good thing to notice when we're trying to impact the public and get more people motivated to take action. We want to make sure that people are actually looking at what we're doing. So having really high sacrifice isn't some inherent good. Is it something that can be good? There's a lot of examples of things that are highly disruptive and don't necessarily include a lot of sacrifice. So shutting down a major highway doesn't actually necessarily include a lot of sacrifice if you're doing it with a couple thousand people, but it is something that's highly disruptive and can completely shut down a major city, an entire region of a country. But it, what you're starting to notice right now is that a lot of this is subjective, right? That sacrifice is based on the conditions. It's also based on the people engaging in the sacrifice. If you're undocumented, uh, the levels of sacrifice that you engage in, it's just inherently increased. Anything that you do when the system is already against you means that you're always engaging in a higher level of sacrifice. If you're a black person at a police brutality or protest, you're inherently you're functioning on a higher level of sacrifice than a white person at that protest. So we want to keep that in mind with everything that we're learning here, really, that it's all really about the conditions that we're in. So one of my favorite forms of escalation is going into an occupation, which can be highly disruptive and highly sacrificial. People are giving up their normal day-to-day lives to live in a new location temporarily, disrupting potentially an office, a city hall, a business, just making sure that something that was going to function and push oppression, misery upon the world will no longer function. But on top of that, people are putting their lives on the line too and showing the public like, Hey, I'm actually willing to camp out in this office for the rest of my life. If I need to, if this politician doesn't do the right thing, I love occupations, but obviously occupations come with their own problem. Escalation will not give you the perfect tactic, but when you're thinking about sacrifice and disruption, you can really start calculating what is appropriate for your situation? What level of sacrifice will move the public? What level of disruption will prevent oppression from happening, but at the same time, not turn the public against you? So an example is highway protests, which I also love. Um, and we talked about how it doesn't necessarily have to be a high level of sacrifice, but now it actually is a higher level of sacrifice where you have people being run over by motorists, by police officers. So it's all about the conditions and really paying attention to that when you're deciding what your tactic is. And one thing I want to add about escalation is that escalation essentially turns our private suffering into public action. This is touched upon by a lot of people throughout history. And it, it's just, it, it's real. Um, you know, TJ could have went home and cried. Uh, all the students could have been like, well, we can't do this. The jungle gym will be destroyed. But TJ was like, no, I'm going to turn my suffering into some sort of action. I'm going to disrupt something. I'm going to shut something down. And through that, he was able to inspire other people to engage in that. 
And that's really important. And I think one thing about escalation that doesn't often get talked about is reality that escalation should match the problem at hand. I think there is something about calculating what the public will think about what you're doing, obviously. Um, but the reality is the human race may very well be on the way out. There are very terrifying things happening every day. Uh, police brutality is obviously a, a massive issue uh, for me uh, as a black person living in the United States. Uh, but the reality is we still have a the massive cataclysm of environmental collapse coming. Um, and if we're going to win, if we're going to survive, we need to figure out ways to translate our suffering and the potential future suffering into action very soon. So I definitely would love for people to listen to this and actually go out to protests that are happening right now um, in hopes that, you know, you learn a lot um, and that you can continue to remain in this kind of movement for the rest of your life. Because to be honest, that's exactly what we need. So to summarize, escalation is how movements win. It's how we win our victories. It's one of the main functions of movements. We must escalate. And we escalate by increasing levels of sacrifice and disruption with the protests and actions that we're doing. That's, that's it, you know? We can do it. I, I genuinely believe we can win this entire thing. We, we've seen so many waves of protests in the last couple of years and people have continued to escalate from occupations to even the burning down of the third precinct. That was a huge escalation. And many people ha may have mixed feelings about it. But the reality is, if we want to talk about private suffering being translated into public action, that that was that was on point. And yeah, I just want to thank you all for being here with me and checking out the show. And hopefully I see you out there in the protests. Have a great day. Hey.